Welcome to Locally Sourced Joey, the podcast about anything and everything. Joined today by Scott Dow, author of The Phlegm Cup, which is just a terrific book about golf, friendship, loss, a whole host of life lessons. Uh, just a really entertaining read. It's a very funny book, and Scott has taken some time to chat with us. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Joey, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Good. I would just love to know, for starters, how... Uh, a drunken feud turned into something that that lasted for several years because I feel like most of my drunken feuds um, are you know much less productive. Well, golf and competition would always trump um, you know any re- regrets over a, you know some sort of drunken mistake. We would always somehow come to our senses you know during the drunken feud and, and you know be able to focus on the bigger picture, which turned out to be this this uh, golf tournament, which we. I mean, basically, the, the Flem Cup started in the, probably the late 90s, and just had the idea, you know, the idea of the fellow who, who came up with it, and then I ran with it, put it together. And so for a few years, it was just us going down, we just basically split the teams up, like, you know, low handicap guy, you go on team A, second lowest, you go on team B, and then blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we had that, that night in England, and, you know, we got into the, the feudal tip over previous Flem Cup performances, and of course, I had never won one at that point. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, his friend Joe, who I had come to know pretty well by that point, he kind of pipes up with his little suggestion from back in the corner. And literally, I mean, Ian was such a, a, an extraordinary magnetic personality. Um, I think it was literally within like a matter of hours that he had most of the players he needed for his team. Wow. I mean, you just pick the phone up and say, hey, we got a golf match over in the U.S. November should be a great time. You want to come? Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, I tried to do the same thing years later when I was trying to build the team out or, you know, and it's, well, I've got to think about it. Let me get back to you. Can you send me some more details? I'm, it's like Ian calls. It's like, you know, the president calling. It's just, okay, when, when, when do I need to be where? So, so, yeah, that's kind of how it started. I mean, we were, you know, it was, it was back and forth that, that one night and then Joe threw up the idea and even through kind of our drunken haze of 15 or 20 Stellas, you know, I was <laughs> like, we were both able to say, oh, that has some really, I mean, can you do that? I mean, to Ian, you know, because I already basically had an American team. Ian would come over and I'd, you know, we'd have, you know, 8, 10, 12 guys on a golf trip and Ian and maybe a friend or two from England. And so I basically had an eight man team at my disposal to begin with. So Yeah, it sounds wonderful, and I, I'm jealous of Ian's ability to round up a 
group of people like that so quickly. Yeah, I know. So was I. Because like I said, when I tried it, and I had to do it, I tried it in 2004, and of course, uh, you know, at that point, my personal life was not in the greatest of shape. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I did try to pull together, and I managed to get one guy, you know, <laughs> out of a summer's worth of, of cajoling. So. so yeah, I don't know how he did it. I don't, you know, again, it's just one of those people they know some or know, know one in your life, but just one of those guys that just had such an extraordinary uh, personality and you know, people just wanted to hang around with him. He was always fun to be with and a uh, you know, great friend. Definitely. And how, t- how did you two originally meet? We met at a business conference. And uh, the, the business conference, it was about a week long in total. It started off, there was a software company in Cincinnati and we were both, uh, he was looking to become a representative for the company. We were already representatives of the company. So basically, you know, he came for the sales, the international sales meeting, which was like three days. I think it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of the first week. And then you'd have the weekend off, um, which happened to be Oktoberfest in Cincinnati. And we also, we went out and played golf on Saturday. So there were some, there were some extremely late nights <laughs> and, and late mornings during that, that week-long conference. Um, but we, we really became friends during the round of golf we played on Saturday when we got paired up uh, just by the luck of the draw. And then we did a redo at a phenomenal course out near Cincinnati, about a, probably about 45 minutes outside of Cincinnati, um, on Monday. Uh, and we got basically the same group we had on Saturday, and we had a little match, and it was just an awesome day, you know, early, kind of mid-October, so the leaves were turning, and it was just one of those perfect, perfect days to play golf, and, and it was just a great match, and it really kind of cemented our friendship, and, but it, in the meantime, like, we were spending evenings together, and we were we were talking about business and doing other stuff, um, and we, he and I were really very similar people in how we approached a lot of different things, from, from business, we were both kind of creative entrepreneurs, and then um, looking for other ways to, to you know, build business, to, to do that kind of stuff, and and, uh, and so we had lots of similar sense of humor, you know, both kind of a little bit sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek kind of, you know, seeing humor in pretty much everything. Uh, so it was just, you know, we just became, we pretty much hit it off that one week and became lifelong friends after that. And, and just, we still became business partners within like a year and we were going on golf trips and, you know, just we plan two or three golf trips a year with business involved. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you talk about business for like a minute, right? And then you're... Talk about business. How's business? Business is good. How's business? Business is good. So. Great meeting. Great meeting. <laughs> um, and I'm curious, where did the name Flem Cup come from? Because I know it's a different spelling, but when I hear phlegm, I you know think of a throat that really Everybody needs does. to be congested. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's kind of the, um, the, the, the allure for me was exactly that. But it's simply the last name of the guy who came up with the idea. For one guy... A good friend of mine, I had met him also through work, but way back in the, even before I knew him, back in the probably early 90s, um, I met a fellow named Lou Flem, who was working down at a refinery in South Jersey, and uh, we had a contract over there, and so I got to know him pretty well, and of course, anytime I saw an opportunity to, you know, build a little more of a relationship with a customer by maybe going out and play golf or whatever, so Lou and I did that, and then he started coming on trips with us, and, you know, we became good friends, we're still good friends, um, and so... 
of them. I don't know. But I said, hey, that's a great idea. And then I was thinking, what should we call it? And I just thought, Flem Up <laughs> is not only does it give him, you know, the uh, <laughs> credit for coming up with the idea, but it is a tongue-in-cheek, you know, kind of testament to the quality of play. Um, and then the, the circle was completed about three, four years later when we finally went to the international version of the Flem Cup when, when the whole Team England came over for the first time in 2001. Um, I went on eBay a couple months before the event and found a hand-blown antique glass spittoon. Wow. And that became, that became our trophy. That's what you see in the picture on the back of the book. And stuff. It's actually a spittoon. That they, and you can see on the bottom, the glass is kind of more polished than the rest of it because they used to kick it around the floor in the old bars back at the, you know, this thing was like 100 years old. <laughs> so I thought it was a really cool trophy, and it really kind of closed the whole loop, and it's perfect. So we have a spittoon for the Flum Cup as the trophy. I mean, it's... <laughs> so that's how it came. It's as innocent as that. It was not it's you know, spelled a lot more easily than uh, the other type of Flum. And, uh, but yeah, but that's always a question that comes up, and it's just kind of very innocent. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Do people celebrate a victory by uh, spitting into the spittoon, or is that... <laughs> Try to keep it a little more sanitary uh, yeah, than that. <laughs> yeah, no. no I, I suggested that they, when Team England won in 2001, I offered, sincerely offered my, my uh, I said, I will be glad to pour the pitcher of beer in there. You guys will drink it. They turned me down. That sounds a bit so, more fun anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not a cup you would probably drink out of without some serious decontamination <laughs> or something. I don't know. Steam cleaning. I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, so one of the highlights, I think, is just how many interesting things happen on these uh, these trips for you. And um, I'd say probably the most famous, infamous one um, would be the hot sauce incident. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, the hot sauce incident, kind of to, to really set the stage for that, you have to go back to the previous night, which was karaoke night. And those were, I mean, those back-to-back nights really kind of tone for everything that would follow in the next five years. Because the first night, you know, we're kind of, we played golf the first day and everybody, you know, we got together and socialized and we were becoming friends. And then the next night, England, we had won the first day. England came out and kicked their butts the second day. So they had taken a fairly decent sized lead and they were celebrating like crazy. And as fate would have it, it turned out to be karaoke night at the bar. And so an English karaoke is done very differently than ours, which is we sit around and listen to someone sing a song, maybe they're great, maybe they're horrible, but we're just going to sit there and listen and then, you know, whatever, the next person comes up. Well, they can sing along. You know, it's really kind of a raucous sing-along type thing. When you go into an England, an English pub um, for karaoke, it is a lot of sing-along. So they're just, they're just going nuts. And as, you know, again, I'm just, you know, we're sitting there kind of crying into our beers about a lousy day on the golf course, but they're having a great time. And, at some point in the evening, after karaoke had started, not too long in, I suddenly just had this bright little idea that I was going to, you know, there was a whole bunch, there was probably 50 or 60 people in the bar, and I grabbed a couple of local girls, and I gave them some money, and had them started to start to buy shots for all the guys in England. Just come over and say, oh, you guys are so awesome. We just love the way you sing, sing along. <laughs> so, so they started, they bought like five rounds of shots for the guys on Team England. And that was all to try to get them so hung over the next day so that we could, you know, win the match and come back in. So anyway, Ian kind of caught on to it by the end of the night. Now, 
like I, I, even though I wasn't doing the shots, I still had some beer. I was really badly hungover. <laughs> but anyway, so they pretty much all hated me by the time they got up the next morning and they were trying to you know pry their eyelids open and everything else. And so we went out and played. We won the day. We made a little bit of a comeback. We got to within striking distance. And we come back, and now we're really starting to feel better. And they're all kind of, you know, showing some grudging admiration for the for the little stunt that I pulled. And so we're sitting around and waiting for this one guy, Swampy, to come back down from the hotel. He had just gone straight to his room to take a nap, actually. <laughs> he was still so messed up from the night before. And uh, so finally, and I'm, I'm trying to get their pairing. Because one of the interesting things we did with the uh, with the pair, with the matches was that we would allow the team that was trailing to actually select who would play against the players on the other team. So it was kind of a way to orchestrate comebacks and strategize and all that kind of stuff. So I was waiting for their pairings because we were losing. That means we get to set the matches for the next day. And so I was waiting for what pairs they were going to send out, and then we would decide who we wanted to play, which of their players. And so finally, Swampy kind of wanders down there, and he and Ian shared a, a love affair of hot wings. And so he got down there, and he's feeling a little bit hungry now. He's finally he's recovered. And so they order a beer, and they, they order some wings. And meanwhile, they send me away because they're having a secret confab about you know who, who we get a pair together. It's like I don't care who you pair together. I just just give me your parents. <laughs> and uh, but they had to have so they send me away. So I talk to the waitress, and I come back, and then they send me away, and I talk to the waitress again, and I come back, and eventually. I go back to the hotel just as some wings have arrived for Swampy and Ian. It was like a plate. It's probably a dozen, maybe a dozen and a half wings. And they had three different dipping sauces. And one was clearly like a blue cheese. One was kind of a honey mustard. And another was just un- <laughs> unidentified. <laughs> and um, so immediately, you know, liking hot wings, Stuart dips his wing into the hotter sauce, just kind of coats one side of it and takes a bite. Well, immediately. What had happened, and I have no idea how this happened, but it was the greatest thing ever because it really cemented my reputation as kind of a, uh, a win-at-all-costs, you know, captain of my team sort of thing. But they had served them pure um, habanero sauce, the kind of stuff you, you usually put a couple drops in to cut with regular salsa and things like that um, in order to make it really hot. So this was pure, like, undiluted habanero sauce. So Stewart starts to have trouble breathing, you know, I mean, talking, I mean, his throat's closing. I mean, it's just beyond anything that he had anticipated. Meanwhile, so he's trying to kind of warn Ian, and Ian's kind of absentmindedly talking about who he thinks we're going to pair against who. And so he's kind of waving his wing around, and Stewart's kind of like hitting the table like, oh. And Ian, of course, thinks this is great, though. He's looking forward to this. And so he, he goes ahead and does the same thing eventually. And immediately, it started to have an even more severe chemical reaction with Ian than it was with Stewart. I mean, they both were, they couldn't breathe, couldn't talk, slapping the table. Ian had heard one time that they were, they were, uh, that sugar would help. <laughs> I don't know where he heard it, but he heard the sugar. So they start ripping over sugar packets and pouring them on their tongues. <laughs> I mean, nothing helps when you have that sort of thing. But they're, they're trying anything they can think of. And eventually, Ian, now he is, uh, He's looking for more sugar packets. So he sits at one table, and behind him, about eight, ten feet away, the little old couple that's sitting there having, you know, late afternoon, whatever, early dinner. And so he just kind of, he's desperate. He just kind of slides his chair as hard as he can over, scares the crap out of this poor little old couple just to grab these sugar sacks. And when he did it, he had 
had a kind of a, you know, uh, every action deserves an equal and opposite reaction kind of thing, and the exertion of pushing apparently caused him to blow this enormous, wet, stinky fart. And at the same time, he actually, his nose started bleeding, because apparently the blood, his blood pressure had spiked, and so the exertion of doing that. So at the same time, he blows something that was actually known as a Stink Hill Special. Stink Hill is the little village they come from, and these, 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 there were certain farts that would achieve legendary status. You hear a guy, you understand. Yeah. Stuff, you, know? <laughs> you know, after three days of, like, Indian food and, you know, being constipated and stuff like that, anything that comes out that end is going to be absolutely disgusting. And that's what, that, they cleared the entire bar. <laughs> and it took about 15 or 20 minutes. The, the little old couple just kind of ran out of the bar. You know, they were just horrified. Of that. But and meanwhile, Ian had all these na- bloody napkins all over him. He's, he's sitting there, him, him and Stuart just looking entirely pathetic are sitting there kind of trying to, survive this this experience um and eventually you know he calmed down uh he calls me up and said i've shit myself and my nose is bleeding get down here now because i got up to the hotel so just that one line click hang up and i just like looked at the other two guys and i'm like i didn't say anything and they're they're looking at who was that i said it was ian Did they did they ever try and get you back for that, or were you were you able to skate by kind of scot free? No, I always got I always got away with all the stuff that I. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I was I was able to. Uh, um, yeah, no, they never got me back for any of this stuff. Maybe someday, but I mean, I was on the lookout, just like they were on the, all these things. Only worked once, you know. Yeah. terrified for i live across the street from a wings place so i'll go there from time to time and now i'm just if i can, can never identify a sauce i'll just be like i'll pass with that yeah, yeah good be a little bit dangerous good life lesson love I, it i think this stuff was, it was something like one effing drop at a time with the name of it or something it was one of those ridiculous things that you see you know and uh, that's what they used again it was always used for cutting with other sauces it was never mm-hmm. Terrific. <laughs> um, so the in two thousand five, I was the final Flum Cup. Um, can you just 
what was what was that final one like? Well, that of course was, um, I mean, possibly the most remarkable one, but for very different reasons. The first year was just full of just meeting people and, and becoming friends and just laughing and laughing and laughing and playing good series competitive golf. But I mean, it was just an awesome experience. But within, I guess, a month of that, month and a half at the most, Ian had already had, you know, he had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma given one to five years to live, and for three years, 2002, 2003, and 2004, um, everything was great. Everything went along fine. His health was good. We had kind of receded into the back of our minds after the initial shock. And so we were, you know, kind of hopeful that maybe this thing was just a bad dream and, uh, and everything's going to be good. And then early 2005, he gave me the word that the cancer had started to spread, and one thing led to another. Everything, they put him on it. as if we were playing for him and trying to make 
was just it was just an awesome awesome week and you know the whole year how it all played out and kind of went through and of course the trip to England that we took in September was you know one of the key things that you know talking to Jack and, and uh, Jack had a conversation with me and Jack was a minister and he was a minister that really kind of lived his faith he never talked to anybody about it he never really you know tried to preach to anybody or anything like that but we all knew about it we all knew he was authentic because he really lived and um, just the way his life was, the way his family was, and he was the patriarch of the, you know, the Tannis family, which was probably five people on my golf team every, every year. Um, and so Jack, uh, Jack had come over in September, and he had a long conversation with Ian and Caroline, and then I had a long conversation with him, and one thing led to another, and that kind of led to my kind of journey towards looking into some of life's bigger questions. Because you know, you're faced with the loss of a friend at age 49, and it's just, you know, that kind of stuff, a, a loved one, um, anything like that, it's just so devastating. You're looking for answers, and you're looking for reasons why this might happen. And so that led me to do quite a bit of soul-searching, and led me on kind of a journey of, of discovery, and kind of chasing and looking into some of life's bigger questions, you know, why are we here, and, you know, what else might there be, and is this it? So, stuff like that. No, I think, I mean that that does sound like a a great tribute, and um, and do you think the Flum Cup will ever make a return, or is is two thousand five the the way you want well, to do it? Well, I'm always I'm always trying for it. Um, we tried to get the guys back over here. There was a flurry of excitement when the book first came out, but again, the, the problem is there was, there's really two problems, and, and one is that there's there's no one like Ian anymore to do the organizing. Um, you know, we the, 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 even though 2005 is the last, you know, we call it the last Slim Cup. It's the last, the last Slim Cup in the book. We ran it in 2006 um, and with uh, another one of the fellows being the captain, and then we couldn't get it together for 2007. And then we tried it one more time in 2008 with almost an entirely new cast of characters and some of the old guys with their kids and stuff like that. And it just, it just didn't, it wasn't the same. And that's the last time we ran it. But, but there was a flurry of earlier this year, we're hoping to do it again, either over here or even go back over there. I'm thinking about, you know, putting that to our guys, saying, well, look, these guys are cool all the time. Why don't we go over there? That'll make it a little, a little less expensive for them. And, because uh, it's an expensive trip. That's, and that's the second problem, is that the cost, and you're, you have, you know, now a lot of these guys, they were maybe young guys back then, but they have family. A couple of them have, you know, kids that are kind of in the uh, young teenagers kind of, you know, ages, stuff like that. When you're, no, you can't just go off and say, hey, I'm spending half of our, you know, vacation budget this year <laughs> on a golf trip by myself. You guys have fun, stay at home, and I'll see you in a week. Um, you know, that's just, that's, <laughs> that's not a good idea for family, marital bliss and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, so yeah, we'll get it, we'll get it again. At some point, I keep, I keep pushing gently, because I know, I mean, it's, it is expensive, it's, it's time, um, you know, when you might not have a lot of vacation time, stuff like that got family and things like that so you know we're always going to be good friends with those guys over there uh still stay in touch with them and at some point we will get together and it'll be fantastic you know we'll have a bunch of beers and play some golf and have some fun and some laughs and reminisce about eating and other things so someday we'll look forward to some more updates from that and uh just to wrap up i always like to do a top three um so outside of 
uh, places that have hosted the Flem Cup, what are your top three golf courses? Top three golf courses. Um, wow, that's a tough one. I've played some very good golf courses. I've not played um, my three dream courses, of course, are uh, probably along with about a gazillion other people are, <laughs> are probably Pine Valley, Augusta, and Cypress. Um, would love to play them. We really, I really tried to get on to Cypress. Uh, back in 2003 when Ian and, and Joe and, and Andy and myself went to Pebble Beach, but we could not, they do not allow unaccompanied forces out on the golf course, period. So that didn't fly. But anyway, I haven't played them, so I can't count them. So favorite courses, um, I played Chambers Bay uh, about a year ago, a year ago in May, and I thought it was going to be so much fun to watch the Open there this year. It's a shame that the greens were kind of a but, I, you know, a lot of people were bitching, oh, this is not golf and stuff like that. I thought it was fantastic. I thought, I thought it, it totally changed strategy, and you had to become much more creative in your shot making, especially around the green, but also in your approaches, because of those enormous undulations, the fact that the greens would run up right, right up the sides of, of, like, sand dunes and stuff like that. So that's a great course. Um, I played the ocean course at Kiowa. Uh, that's a great course. I love the Heritage down in Myrtle Beach. It's a fantastic course. Um, so top three. I'm trying to narrow this down. Well, obviously, I played I played Pebble and, and Spyglass out, out, out in uh, Monterey. Um, yeah, certainly Spyglass is definitely top three. Spyglass was fantastic. Thought it was actually better from beginning to end better than Pebble. Uh, Pebble Beach has that stretch of holes along the cliffs that are pretty much, you know, there's just nothing you can compare that to, and then 17, 18 coming home. So you've got about eight or nine holes on Pebble Beach that are just phenomenal. And the rest of the golf course is very good, but Spyglass is, is phenomenal as well. Um, but I would say, yeah, the Ocean Course is probably up there. Best Page Black is another one I've paid, played. That one has kicked my butt a few times. Um, <laughs> So I would say probably Spyglass. I'm going to go with Spyglass, um, Ocean Course, Aquila, and probably Pebble. Got to go with Pebble. Nice. That's a good. I, think that, I had to really think about that. You caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> Favorite thing. I'd never really thought about that before. But yeah, there's, I've, I've, you know, there's a few others. Of course, in Gant over in England, which was fantastic. They had like 360 bunkers on it. They put oh, wow. the riders up there back in the front That was a a great course so, but oh and then the one we played in Ireland a couple of really good ones over there we played uh, La Hitch phenomenal course Valley Bunyan Doombeg so lots of good stuff lots of good courses out there yeah it seems like I'm hoping to visit Ireland in the next year or two so maybe I can uh, sneak away yeah. for a quick now, round I, <laughs> I've heard Northern Ireland actually has the better courses places mm-hmm. like true yeah <laughs> um well that's that's all i've got on my end so anything uh, you want to plug no no i mean other than i mean the book is available on amazon um as both a 
Kindle download and the paperback. Um, it is it basically, if I had to sum this thing up, it's a, it's a fantastic golf story that's wrapped up inside a bigger story about you know life and, and tragedy and, and the bigger things in life. But it, it really you know it was a story that I just felt like I had to tell. And, um, you know, it's, it's it becomes more fantastic looking back on it in hindsight than it was going through it, and you see all the little the little strands that had to come together and, and fit in and, and everything else. And it's you know I. I Definitely a great story worth checking out. The Flem Cup by Scott Dow. Scott, thanks so much for chatting. Appreciate your time, Joey. Thanks for listening. And remember, what are a ninja's favorite shoes? Sneakers. Get after it today, people.